Can you hear me? I can. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I was on and everything and talking and for some reason it just wasn't coming through. I think we're good now. Oh, thank you. Lou made me a quesadilla. Ooh, that sounds yummy. Yeah, but I'm working, sweetie. (laughs) What is she doing? I'm working, honey. No, baby girl. I need you to go finish dinner with daddy, okay? Okay. Well, that was a fun little thing. Um, If you don't know where you're at, it's uh, Ash and Jordan here to talk about uh, racism in education. If you have been poking around um, Simply Ashes over on Patreon, you will have have gotten a little bit of an introduction into a TikTok that I came across um, a couple weeks ago. And then sat on it and then had feelings about it. But it was about um, Brown versus Board of Education, which was the end of segregation in schools and how perhaps it was a bad idea. And it was it was from a TikTok from a black man who I will link the TikTok in the description of this. But he talked about how prior to Brown versus Board, um, the majority of teachers in most schools in a lot of states were black educators and then taking a look at it now and this common question comes up like every year or two in Facebook is you know how old were you when you first had your black first black teacher I didn't have one ever Um, I had a brown an Indian man named Muhammad Raj Muhammad as an adjunct professor when I took religion of Islam in college my junior year of college before I ever was in a classroom with brown people. And so like me, as a person who internalizes a lot and could have really benefited from having an instructor of any kind that looked like me, I spiraled into like, what could my life have been like? But then I'm sitting here and I remember that uh, my best friend is a professor. And so I was like, you need- (laughs) Part-time, part-time. I was like, you need to watch this. You need to watch this. We need to talk about it. And uh, can you talk a little bit about your feelings when you kind of heard from me and decided that you were actually going to engage me in talking about this topic because I was in my feels? Well, um, you know, it was surprising because, uh, you know, you don't think about those numbers typically, um, and we should be discussing those numbers, but to see just how drastic the change was in this short snippet of a video just describing that change um, after Brown versus Board of Education. Um, it's kind of frightening because that that is obviously a negative result. And uh, having that discussion about uh, who was your first professor kind of starts that conversation, but I'd, I've never actually gotten to those numbers before. So it was pretty shocking for me to see that like just on a screen. And didn't he say something about like um, 17%? And I have a whole bunch of sources that I've gone through and I've looked at. I'm not really ready to talk about that on Simply More, so I'm not going to talk about it here. Um, but in the TikTok video itself, he talked about 17% of the states had primarily Black teachers. And I think it was actually 35 to 50% in 17 states. That makes is, more sense. Which is really, I mean, to think about it going down to, uh, what was it, 10% or less? Yeah. And that it's makes just, perfect sense. It's it's mind boggling, but at the same time, uh, you, you can you can see that even though this court case seems seemed positive, because it, I mean there were obviously positive impacts of it, but you can still see the way that 
racism works within the systems that already exist. And so even though there was this decision that is positive, it still had a very negative impact. And when you think about it, when I think about it from like my space of reasoning, where I ignored everything, almost everything in history, because it was super uncomfortable for me to Mm -hmm. sit there as the only brown kid with teachers who like shouldn't have taught that they were all like also coaches and they were primarily coaches, but you just throw them into history because eventually they'll, they'll know what's happened. But I thought about it from a very different standpoint from the idea of like cultural appropriation, specifically Mm -hmm. within like African religions and, in New Orleans and hoodoo and voodoo and this idea that there's a big discussion within the black community and within um, witch talk and the pagan community and closed and open practices as to why certain practices of voodoo and hoodoo in New Orleans specifically that would be closed otherwise have so many white practitioners in it. And it was explained Mm. um, really well as this idea of slavery and nannies and wet nurses and they're spending all of these time as black individuals still tied to their culture from Haitian descent or Jamaican descent or African descent and this this magic and this power that comes from that and it's still right there but they don't necessarily have their own children to be able to teach those things to so they're responsible for raising and taking care of and educating wealthy white children And then those wealthy white children are then taking those and owning those because it was taught to them by Mm -hmm. somebody from that culture and then teaching it to their families and their families as the idea of wet nurses and slaveries and and slavery and stuff like that. In that particular sense, we got away from that. Those white families are still practicing those things because it came from an important black woman in the lives of some sort of grandfather of wealthy descent. And so it makes sense, this idea that even to the wealthy people, black and brown people were more than good enough to feed their children from their body, give their body mm-hmm. pieces of their body to these wealthy white people's children and raise them. Like, I don't know why in my head I was just like, yeah, I guess they're probably just dropping them off at school. No, they were also responsible for their education. So the idea that that level of of racism and of culture even I guess at Mm. that point it is mostly just culture and less about racism um the racism is inherent but right but it's still cultural it's still a cultural thing where they're they're really teaching their children and so it makes sense that you would then make the push from once your kid doesn't need a nanny anymore having those people who you trusted to educate your children before also be their teachers in a school setting. And these these are um, specifically men and women who have had, um, at that point, there's even talks of some of them having master's degrees in mm-hmm. education who are teaching their children. And then all of a sudden you have um, the end of segregation and all of those teachers were pushed out the same way that veteran teachers get pushed out nowadays, Like, oh, we're not going to pay you that much and you're not going to have this and you're not going to have days off and we're going to expect you to do five million different things. You're going to be severely underfunded. Was the idea of separate but equal better? Because in the end of the day, who lost? Black and brown kids all over the United States lost the ability to have teachers that looked like them. They lost the ability to learn their history properly and instead 
and got to write essays and hear people read essays about why slavery wasn't maybe a bad thing and the pros and cons and all of these other things like what kind of damage did we do to our black and brown children and what kind of disservice did we give to the white children um, by things going this way? Well, it almost, I mean, framing it and framing it that way, it, it almost makes it seem like, well, it, it doesn't seem like it is. Uh, brown versus board of education was almost like a concession rather than an actual solution to the problems that existed in the first place, because we didn't do it right. We clearly didn't do it right because you have the this the school to prison pri- pipeline that exists now, and you have such few numbers of people of color and black people um, getting access to the education in order to you know better their lives. And so it just it seems like it was more of a concession from the Supreme Court, which I'm assuming they were all white at the time. I imagine. I mean, I can look it up, but I'm pretty comfortable in thinking you're correct. Right. So it's, it just, the system didn't change. It just renamed itself. I, I think that the system did change. Uh, I don't think that it necessarily changed in a good way, but it changed from the ideas of we're going to have to have our children learning beside these children of color. We Mm -hmm. have to prove that we are ahead of them. And that's not to say Uh, that integrated, um, integrated classrooms didn't exist before. um, It was just illegal to have them segregated mm -hmm. Um, because they did in a lot of towns and a lot of communities. I actually like was looking it up and was really surprised that there were entire towns and entire counties and in some places, entire States where like segregation just wasn't a thing. They all went to the same school. And I feel like, from like a hindsight as 2020 type thing um, if they could have done separate yet equal into the point where they naturally all integrated or didn't Mm -hmm. um, maybe that wouldn't be such an issue. And I actually ended up finding some other things that made me kind of icked out about like sundown towns and it related to something else, but I came up with this idea to like, Oh, let's just look at how many sundown towns exist or used to exist And I used to work in the admissions office in college and I'm like looking at that state and I'm like, man, these are all the places that we recruit from. Mm -hmm. And like you're an admission counselor. I have other friends who are admissions counselors or used to work in admissions. I'm like, hey, like, can you just tell me how many of these areas you're pulling from? And almost all of them, their primary places that they're pulling from are from towns that used to be sundown towns. And I think it's really interesting how it all kind of comes together so that we can understand just how deeply and systemically that Black people have been removed from positions where they can further um, their education mm-hmm. in a safe setting. Because the idea of like, oh, well, just because they're not going to kill you um, and they let a couple of white families in is not the same thing as those families that are legacy families in those towns who are growing up and teaching those same things to their children. And then those children are being recruited to the universities. And then what? Then you've got the same hierarchies. You have a bunch of white people teaching a bunch of white people, all of whom come from someplace that has the effects of racism much, much higher than other communities so why are we 
why from an admission standpoint, which is none of my business anymore, but why are we pulling from those places and not other places? At the very end, digging to the bottom of it, why those places and not other places? And I'm a very firm believer that everything comes down to some sort of racism, homophobia, and misogyny. And sometimes all of them. And so I'm just sitting here feeling like some sort of like conspiracy theorist as like all of my content for this month (laughs) just like just comes and foils right into each other. And all of a sudden I have this big realization of like, why didn't I ever think about that? Why didn't I ever think about like Brown versus Board being like the reason or part of the reason why my teachers looked like they did? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I hadn't ever considered it until you brought it up. And now that I know it, I'm telling everybody. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, <laughs> As you should. For a fee. <laughs> I mean, I definitely texted um, the DEI director at my alma mater mm-hmm. the uh, link to the Sundown Towns and, like, my explanation of admissions. And it's definitely going to be talked about at his huh. next meeting with them. I definitely doled it out for free in some situations. Um, but... <laughs> But I don't have every every DEI director's number to just text them and be like, hey, you should look at this. And you should right. also know that these are the places that you recruit from. Mm-hmm. If I did, I would. I would send a spam blast email to everybody that I could. Um, but that's the only option that I have. It, it's just the one. <laughs> you don't want to do a chain email? No. I also know that there would be so many people who would be hitting reply all that I would just be hate my life that's what the bcc is for yeah but you know what you still get reply alls well that's true it doesn't stop people from replying to you it just stops people (laughs) yeah (laughs) should have made that distinction yeah (laughs) um so how do you how do you kind of work around stuff like that in the classroom i know that english is a popular class (laughs) in college um, but there are so many parts of racism within English as a whole in literature mm-hmm. that it seems like a really good place to start that conversation. Well, uh, I think I am in a fortunate position that um, my the composition director, uh, the, the program director at UA Little Rock uh, is a black man, a black gay man, actually. And so um, I have the, the fortunate position to be under the tutelage of someone who has all of this knowledge already that he has been able to impart on me that I can then bring into the classroom. So um, DEI initiatives are really built into the program uh, through and through. And uh, in order to actually, you know, implement that that in the classroom, we have to talk about, uh, you know, AAVE and how different dialects exist in the United States that um, <clears throat> language isn't just this one idea of what, specifically English, um, English isn't this one specific thing. And really what people deem as proper English is white English, white middle-class uh, Midwestern English. And uh, it just doesn't really work anymore in the current social and cultural context that we live in in the United States. So I really like to, you know, bring that to the students, especially in the comp one class pretty early on because they're going to be doing a lot of personal writing and uh, 
in living in Little Rock, uh, there are typically, you know, people of color and LGBT people in the classroom. And I really want to give them the opportunity to have their own voice because ultimately whenever I'm teaching in composition courses, what I'm teaching them is to have their own voice and to also respect the language or the language context that they come from because everyone is valid in that sense. Uh, language is different wherever you come from. And uh, I, I just like to make it as egalitarian as possible and really not focus on <clears throat> forcing any student to be completely grammatically correct. Sure, that's part of teaching them, but uh, at the end of the day, there's not a correct way to communicate with people as long as you're communicating effectively. Have you seen the recent recent push to start calling um, Americanized English like white American vernacular English and African American vernacular English rather than English and AAV? Uh, you know, I haven't actually seen that, to be honest. I'm glad that you brought that up because really that's what it should be called is white American vernacular English. And I think honestly, if we, if we labeled it as such, it would be easier to talk about because we're breaking down those binaries that are existing because you're suggesting a hierarchy there that there's the right way to speak English. And then, then there's the African American vernacular English. Um, so I think that that is honestly something that I would be happy to you know, implement in the classroom and discuss in that way. It, I, I know everybody shits on me with the idea <laughs> of TikTok being any sort of reput- reputable anything. I think there's great sources of information on there. Continue. <laughs> there, <laughs> you only say that because I've had this argument with you like 16 <laughs> times. But it really is because it provides a place where you can follow the threads as far as you're comfortable and mm-hmm. requires zero extra emotional labor on the parts of the creator. You can yeah. go, you can follow it to wherever, <clears throat> you can look up, Google, whatever, anything that you need, have questions on, do your own research, mm-hmm. all of those things. And it all starts by tailoring your For You page differently. Right. And, I, you know, niching down. <laughs> I don't even think that's true because um, <laughs> I'm definitely back on like, goldfish egg tiktok and lantern fly oh, tiktok and spicy accountant drama tiktok i I'm am finally, not familiar with any of these i'm finally off um planner gate because that's that's over um what else i'm on um activism and advocacy advocacy tiktok I'm also on Bones and No Bones TikTok, which I'm kind of getting away from and I'm really excited about because at the end of the day, like, <laughs> if another 13-year-old dog dies on TikTok, everybody's going to be devastated and I want it's, nothing for that. It's going to crush so many people and then every day will be a No Bones day. Right. I'm just sitting here happy that I'm finally off Berries and Cream TikTok um, and I'm hmm. just going to thank my lucky stars for that. Yeah. But it- you, Now that you've mentioned it, you might uh, encounter one or two. Oh, no. But it really is a great place. And there are so many different um, avenues that you can go down. And yeah, sure, if you just want fun, dancey stuff or like um, trivia or colors and art. I'm on tons of art TikToks. Like, they're great. But it's really nice every once in a while to have somebody be in your face and challenge what you think and Mm -hmm. 
that TikTok sat in my favorites list for a really long time before I could even bring myself to to watch the entire thing because I wasn't ready for the emotions that I knew that was going to bring in me because Mm. for me it the more that I looked into it it's a sense of loss for me like what could I have had could I have had uh, a childhood and upbringing where I could have just been myself and in whatever that was instead of masking as this very um this very like white um basic person because I didn't want to be different like I didn't want Mm -hmm. to listen to rap music I didn't want to to do any of that and I rejected parts of myself even so that I could fit in and be safe like Mm -hmm. I could have had an upbringing where I didn't have to do that right and I think that kind of goes with the fact that we don't live in an ideal world and I can't understand that feeling at all but there I mean I'm I'm assuming there is a deep longing for that possibility of what could have been uh, and that's you know that's sad it's more than sad the idea that even back then it was something that they had and it was something that was stripped of mm-hmm. of my community and and of um of other people like me and as a mixed kid like what would they have done with me i was the only I was the only brown kid in my school for the longest time. So um, would I even have been able to go to school? Would I have gone with the white kids? Would there have been a school that I would have to travel to? Who knows? But that life where I could have gone to school and had people who looked like me, Mm -hmm. had books that looked like me, watched movies with kids that looked like me. It's something that I feel like is is taken for granted so much by cis white people, especially, but like white people in general, just how hard it hits to see the first puzzle that's got a brown family or to now sit down and be able to look for books for Rue and there be options because Mm -hmm. I never had that. Like, yeah, I had a couple of black Barbies, but they were always like more expensive and nobody else had them. So it was really just just me again. So I never played with them. It just reminded me that there was just one. There was just me. And it could have been different. And even now, like, one of my friends has a daughter just a little bit older than Rue. And she um, talks about how Rue could be tested to go to, like, the smart school here. And I'm just like, I'm not really interested. And, like, her husband is just like, no, like, she's further ahead than than our daughter was when she was her age like she would love it there and in the back of my mind all I can think of is like what are her classmates going to look like Mm -hmm. because I went to a pretty okay school like I think it was top 10 when I went there but like I didn't care how good my education was I cared that I lost out on having people who looked like me and that's something that other people don't have to consider either. Like, am I going to put my kid in the accelerated program or am I going to feed into her needs that aren't academic and which one is more important? And I'm obviously, um, it's more important for me that she's with kids that look like her and I don't, mm-hmm. I can make that decision until she can ask me like, hey, can I try to go to this school? Right. I think it'll, you know, at some point, there will be that um, sense of agency within her to, to pick, but it's gotta be difficult as a parent to 
to have to make those considerations at all because just, it should just be about the education. I would beg my mom to homeschool me mm-hmm. or to move down here so that I could go to school here with kids that looked like me. And I remember doing it as late as being eight years old. So I was in mm-hmm. third grade. I went home almost every day of second grade with severe anxiety because I was singled out for being different for things that I couldn't change. And, oh, your hair doesn't look the way that it's supposed to. Or why does your hair look like pubic hair? Or, um, oh, my gosh, like, you need to wear more sunscreen. You're burnt. If I ever came home that color, my mom would whoop me. Like, just the off-the-wall things that kids say. And even mm-hmm. even understanding that that came from their parents, like, that's fucking miserable every yeah. day. They, they still don't get a pass. No. And if I could have been saved from that, mm-hmm. who would I be today? Would I even have to be doing this? Would people even be listening to me at all? I mean, I don't know. I would like to say. Um, you would I just be it. talking about something else. I would be because God forbid I shut the fuck up about anything <laughs> ever. <laughs> hey, at least you got good things to say. <laughs> to some people. 